nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest in the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast, where for the third straight weekend, we are sitting here bewildered and trying to make sense of what we just watched, trying to rewatch film, look at the data, make sense of the lineups, deal with the injuries, breathe in post-game quotes, and then come to the table with collective understanding, piece it all together, and then in turn, try to give you guys, the listeners, the best possible value after watching your beloved team lose in that way. And joining me... Kian Sobani, to rinse and repeat this exercise tonight, our Om Arvind and Matt Wiltsey. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Hey, Kian. Oof. Another another day at the office, another frustrating day at the office. This team just uh, hasn't won a game in, in November in La Liga in November, which is which is crazy. Om, you pointed out it's only three games, but still. Uh, but Om, it's good to have you with us. How are you doing, man? Yeah, first time in a while. I I don't even remember if I've done a podcast post-match game with you guys in November, but here I am to if I haven't done it then then I've got it out of the way here. Like I it, it wasn't a great game. Obviously, didn't have a lot of great vibes for us. I always find a way to get humor out of whatever performance we have, you know, if if we're playing badly, if it's this chaotic, there's something weirdly funny to me about it. But on the rewatch, it was hard to refine that humor, and that was kind of rough. But that's out of the way. Here we are, and hopefully this can be a little therapeutic for us and just won't be like a painful rehash of, of what we saw. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. There were at times in that second half, actually in the first half too, it literally felt like I was watching pinball. Like it's just the ball just pinning everywhere. <laughs> Like bouncing off things, bouncing off players, going all over the place, trying to track where the ball is, and then getting cleared back to back to Lucas Vasquez for a cross from long diagonal. Mariano may or may not get on the end of it. It was large touches of that, but then just to keep us a little bit more entertained, it was also there was also a lot of counterattacks for Alaves. There were some some gold some gold for, from Courtois and Casemiro here. Uh, with their with their distribution, but also some heroic saves. There was uh, structurally, offensively, you didn't know where anyone was at any given point. You didn't know where Asensio was. Was he on the screen? Was he was he not on the screen? As Owen pointed out on Slack, was um, was Casemiro ahead of Modric across or behind them? Were they on the right side? Were they on the left side? And just seeing Alaves kind of just prepare for that and just ping away a bunch of crosses. And, and Pacheco had an amazing game. And I thought structurally Alaves, they, they were impressive, which we'll get to. But where would you guys like to start? I always find probably the best place is always the starting lineup. I think in this particular game, it's, it's, a, it's a particular interest as a starting point. Because a lot of the complaints today will have come with the rotations. So, Matt, I know you were kind of vocal about this on Twitter, so why don't we start with you. 
What was your initial thought mm-hmm. when, when looking at the starting lineup? Yeah, so and I just want to clear my my thoughts because I think maybe it may have been a little confusing on Twitter, but I, I'm all for rotations. Like I'm a big proponent of rotations. They're absolutely necessary um, in this season, as we've talked about, Keon, with just how many injuries we're having and COVID, everything. Uh, the demanding season, rotations are 100% necessary. But, and we've talked about this with Zidane in his previous his previous era as coach, they have to be based off of merit. He's not there. Asensio, what did he do today to deserve starting over Rodrigo? Rodrigo has been a consistent impact um, substitution on the right wing. He's either provided a goal or assist in his last, I think, four games, five games. So, that, for me, merits starting as the right winger over Asensio, who hasn't even played a single minute in the last two games, has no match rhythm. It's a game where he maybe comes on as a substitute and then has the opportunity to, to get some match rhythm and prove himself. But he's he hasn't proved that he is worthy of a start today. So that's where I get frustrated. Is I do think rotations are very much necessary, and I do, I do know that Zidane um, believes in rotations and feels they're one of the most important... Um, elements to his coaching philosophy, but I think it has to be based on players who deserve to be there. And Marcelo, yes, your hands are kind of tied at that left back spot, but as we've talked about, Kian, at this point, Mendy has to be—he has to be a non-negotiable, just like Benzema, just like Ramos, just like Cruz. These certain guys are non-negotiables. Mendy has to be that until you absolutely have to rotate him. Then you rotate him, even if it means he starts plays 45 minutes maybe we're two nothing up and you feel okay i can i can sub marcelo in at halftime like if you have to do that fine but i just i'm the rotations today the squad selection just didn't it didn't sit right with me and i i i I didn't like what i saw when i saw the starting 11 same thing with the midfield the casemiro cruz luka modric midfield we know that midfield struggles it struggled last how many years that's why fede valverde has been so important to this side. And yet yet again, it, it struggled today. The the shape of the midfield was totally off. Casemiro's again not he's not he doesn't have that role he had last year. He's playing as a number ten. He just completely hurts Madrid's buildup. What we saw versus Villarreal and Inter Milan wasn't there anymore because of Casemiro. I think it's I think it's um it's almost like what 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 do we talk about first? Because some of these rotation things that you bring up are 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 the are the are the cause of bad pre planning. So the fact the the reason why it's a problem to have Marcelo as your as your backup left back is because you made that decision this summertime. Um, now that that's to an extent because maybe you felt like your hands were tied with Marcelo. Maybe it was hard to get off his contract. I find that very hard to believe. I feel like there there are teams that probably would have looked at him in the summertime, probably less so next summer now that we've seen him play another year, and teams have kind of seen his value decrease. But I, so here's where I think you're right. I think the the one counter I would give to you, Matt, is that this is the easiest game on the schedule on paper. Okay, so we're sandwiching this game in between Inter, Villarreal. Uh, and then after that comes Sevilla, and then, well, we have a Champions League, and then Sevilla, and another Champions League against Mucin Gladbach, and then, and then Atletico, and then Athletic. 
If there's ever a time to rest them, it's now. But the problem is, the reason you're put in this position is because of the decision you made in the summertime. But but here's but but the thing is, you're you're absolutely right on on everything because despite despite having said that, you know Ramos and Benzema and and Cruz, these guys fall in the untouchables and they don't they don't get rotated. Cruz a little bit, but certainly not Ramos or Benzema. Should Mendy fall in that category now? The answer to me is yes. The other thing is, Rodrigo definitely didn't need rest. And based on merit, you're right. He should have played over Asensio. Now, the other one is the Zodegaard. And a lot, of the, a lot of the stats after this game will point to the fact that those horrific numbers with Marcelo in the team, since Zidane has come back as a manager every time he's played Marcelo, the, the numbers are not um, in his favor. I don't know if you guys have the stat handy. If you want to read it out loud, feel free. Um, I think I think Ohm may have posted it in Slack. Since Zidane returns to Real Madrid for a second spell in charge, they have lost 10 La Liga matches. Marcelo started in all of them. Madrid are unbeaten in the 30 games Marcelo has not started. Yeah. So, you know me, like, with, with that kind of, those kind of stats in football, it's very hard to decipher what that actually means because it's not like basketball. There's huge variance. Football Reference now has those on and off numbers, which I'm very, very skeptical of even looking at because they require so much nuance and data to kind of coincide with it. But with the Marcelo one, I think it's real because we can see it on the field every game why that, that is contributing to, to bad results. But the other one that doesn't get as much scrutiny uh, is that when, when, when Matt talked about the midfield, the casemiro Kroos Moric trio does not fare much better. Um so there is all that. Oh, um, I'm curious to know what you thought about the starting lineup and rotations as well. I don't have much to add about Rodrigo versus Asensio. I completely agree with Matt. In regard to Marcelo versus Mendy, I reflect what you guys are saying as well. Like I, I get it that you have to find a way to rest Mendy at some point, but this issue comes back to the decision you said on about Regulon versus Marcelo and I'm wondering how critical to be of that because if I'm being honest I my opinion and the summer was I knew Regulon was better than Marcelo and maybe this is just sentimentality but I I, I was fine with Marcelo being the backup for another year right like Regulon goes out on loan we get another year out of Marcelo Regulon comes back after that. And the reason I said that was because, and, and this is why I say it's sentimentality, is because I was just, I really, really badly wanted Marcelo to have a renaissance season. I thought we saw it with a lot of players in the 2019-20 season. I thought we could see it with Marcelo again. Like, surely he he can't be that poor. And he's just gotten way worse this season. And you look at any number you want to, it's just way down. Key passes, expected assists. It passes into. I mean, ball progression is still okay, but ball his, progression his is dribbles one of his good have ones. just. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ball progression is the one thing that kind of remains as okay. But to be honest, that's something Mendy is pretty good at. And if you look at the things that Mendy is maybe not amazing at, Marcelo at this point. It's not providing it, right? His dribble is just way down. Mendy's a better ball carrier than him at this point. Marcelo's crossing just seems gone. I, I don't understand that, right? No matter how much Marcelo declines, he's arguably the greatest technical 
he's he arguably has the greatest technique of any left back in history and some of the crosses these game this today just made no sense to me whatsoever like I, I wanted Marcelo to stay. I wanted him to, to go out on a high. That's partly why I, I was okay with Regulon going out on loan. But this is just worse because for a lot of people, we know how, you know, recency bias works with this fan base, how it works with fans in general. But even for me, that peak Marcelo, even under Lopetegui where it wasn't peak Marcelo, but it was still something resembling, you know, his older self, right? Three key passes per 90 briefly in that 2018-19 season before he got injured like that just feels like a distant memory to me and I just think he's a negative at this point like I've waited so long to say this I, I know Matt and you you Keon have been far more critical far earlier Marcel is my favorite player and I just I mean I can't ignore it any longer right like it's just not good at all and if you look at the stat with like the 10 losses with him Obviously, there's a huge collinearity effect going on there. But like you said, Keon, we're not necessarily saying he was the reason we lost all those games, right? Because to lose a football game, there's a confluence of factors. But it's non-negotiable at this point that Marcelo is not helping you win games anymore. I don't even think it's he has neutral impact. I think it's negative at this point because defensively, we know he's not the best. And if he's not, I mean, he just doesn't have to, like, play okay offensively, right? He has to make up for that offensively. And, you know, at this point, he's not even very good offensively. So, yeah, man, it's it's rough. Like, the the opening, you know, we could talk about the handball or whatever, but it was Marcelo's back pass that ended up, like, leading to that corner that ended up leading to that chance. And, like, Marcelo being unable to complete a back pass, like, doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So, yeah, it's not a great situation we're in and maybe if I had removed sentimentality out of the equation I would have been more critical of the decision to send Regulon off on loan and because like you said Keon it's always better to to let an aging player go earlier than too late and I think right now we're in the situation where where it's too late well one of the honestly I go ahead Matt I was just gonna say honestly I feel like this the reason I was I would have been I accepted the fact that Marcelo was going to stay this year because I mean there were absolutely no rumors that he was going to leave and he had a contract till 2022 so I accepted that fact but I I feel like this has been a long time coming this has been you mentioned that Lopetegui season even then I feel like yes maybe some of his metrics were still at a good level but he's been poor for two seasons at the very least, and he, he's consistently injured. His injury numbers were almost on par with Bale at one point. Um, and then now he's just consistently a liability defensively. He's not as quick as he once was. His crossing isn't as strong. I mean, it's just it is a sad, rapid decline. And But I do think Madrid had more than enough time to, to make this decision. And ultimately, I think it, it was Zidane's decision, and that's to Keon's point. It goes back to the summer planning. You had, If you want to implement these rotations, you had the opportunity to build a squad, even with just by recalling loanees to, to, and not um, not signing any new players to kind of bring in some fresh faces and, and rejuvenate the squad. Well, I, I don't think it was completely crazy to want Marcelo to stay if you, if you were taking the discussion back to the summertime. I, I was okay with it, not for sentimental reasons, but because... Marcelo 
as your even a post peak Marcelo as your backup left back. I don't know how many teams can say that. Um, it seems like an amazing asset to have to have a player like Marcelo not starting in 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 all the games, but being as the as the locker room presence, but also contributing in 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 the games where you need to give Mendy rest against the smaller teams at home, which is what this was technically speaking. Um, then it seemed fine. It seems like in hindsight the t- deterioration is um, is a little bit more maybe stark and and steep steeper than we thought. I said this in my column because a lot of the um, criticism around Mendy is his offense, obviously. And look, and there is deserved criticism there. I, I against Inter, one of one of the giveaways in particular, and, and he had a similar one against Villarreal where he gets a little bit uncomfortable when. Um, he's pressed on the left side. He goes backwards and ends up switching the ball with his right foot and giving it away. So it's not like he's comfortable under pressure, as comfortable as Marcelo is, although I don't know. You could argue that Marcelo's maybe not the press-resistant player he once was. He does have his moments. Uh, Mendy, 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 you know, in some ways, is a Casemiro of the left-back position that he struggles under that pressure. That pressure. It is interesting that... Um, as Om just pointed out as well, is that he is a better ball carrier. And um, and so I think one of the things with Mendy is that if you're getting enough offense from your attack, then the burden on Mendy to be peak Marcelo is, is not as high. Um, against Inter, Vasquez, and, and Hazard both contributed offensively. And in this game, Hazard did contribute offensively, and Hazard and and Lucas Vasquez too. To be fair, I mean, like we we this is the this is not the first time this season where your best attacking player has actually been Lucas Vasquez. And whether you think that's good or you think that's sad, uh, and it's a reflection of the state of the team, I'll leave it up to you. Um, but you know, he's doing his part with what he's been asked to do, and 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 kind of you know, I, I don't have much. I don't have many bones to pick, to to pick with him, but when when your offense is what it is, which was what it was today, and, and you're not getting contributions from your wingbacks, it's going to be very tough. And Alaves, they basically packed the flanks. It seemed like they knew Real Madrid were going to go there. They almost planned for this. They they basically took away the left side, which made it very difficult for Marcelo or Sensio or Cruz to get involved with their off ball runs on the left side. And ultimately, the ball fell to Lucas Vasquez a lot, so that's why a lot of the stuff went to, went through Lucas Vasquez. But when that's your offense, and um, you need something extra from your wing back, and you're not getting it, it becomes extra detrimental. But maybe this leads to another discussion. Um, how much do you guys think the presence of Odegaard would have changed Real Madrid's structure offensively if he had started? So I was going to go right there. So I'm glad you asked that question because when it comes to Alaves, we know what we're getting, right? Usually in the past with Pablo Machine, we're, we're thinking very high press, super energetic, you know, high block, high defensive line, defensive system. With Alaves, he's kind of scaled that back because basically Basically, the second half of the season with Sevilla just kind of imploded for him. And ever since his initial spell 
where like he kind of exploded onto the scene in La Liga, he has not really been able to get that pressing to work the way he's wanted it to. So it seems with Alaves, he's adapted a little bit, as Jose said in his really good preview piece, which I think is is still worth reading, even though the game's over. Like he did a scouting report on Alaves. Like this, this, this is their identity. We we know who they are coming in. It's it it feels like that typical game, even though that Alaves has sort of been struggling results-wise this season. Like, we know it's going to be tough because this is a side that, you know, at best goes with, like, a mid-block as their highest defensive line of engagement, but is really comfortable going into a deep block, defending in their own box. As Jose said, they have experienced center backs who aren't necessarily dominant, but are not really going to make mistakes and not going to give you easy chances in the box, right? So, like, if we're just going to have this kind of, like, slow labor buildup, allow them to, you know, a war of attrition and pushing them back and then allowing them to pack the box, it's going to be really tough. You know, even Mariano had a good game, I thought, off ball in terms of his positioning. Some of our crosses were actually decent, and we only had one open play shot below the penalty area the entire game, not counting the cross chance because I think it was a clear foul by Rodrigo, which weirdly was not called. And that one chance was Mariano's header in the 83rd minute, which was cleared off the line. So that's the type of team we're facing. I've, I've said this multiple times. I think Odegaard is the type of guy that unlocks you against that side, that allows you to attack a, a, a defense like this in semi-transition, get you going get the defense backpedaling and give you some space in the box before everyone resets. I forgot to mention when you asked the starting lineup questions since we we're focused on Marcelo, but to me, Odegaard not starting was a big miss. I think it was an easy decision. I don't think he was going to be particularly gassed after playing Inter. He didn't play the full 90 minutes. He hadn't played in a while since then due to, due to COVID. I think he could have easily started today. And yeah, I mean... It was just a weird midfield performance, as Matt mentioned. I don't really need to go over it, but I think Odegaard makes a difference. And I think moving forward, he absolutely is the key to unlocking us offensively in these types of performances, especially if this Hazard injury, you know, turns out to be sort of serious and he he needs to spend some time off the pitch again. Well, the other thing, too, is we saw against Villarreal and Inter Milan how... Cruz would drop into a center back role. Um, the the wing backs would push up, and then Modric and Odegaard were both playing kind of as number eights um, and trying to find space in between the lines. And that really helped our build up play. Um, and that just because you had so many technically proficient players, they could get out of any press, and our our build up was just infinitely better. And because you didn't have Casemiro in there playing, as we always joke, as a number ten and trying to occupy just occupy spaces where he can basically be a decoy and not and not have to get the ball. And Keon, I think you and I were were talking and maybe it was on the loan track, I can't remember which podcast, but we were saying what we were trying to think what player is like Casemiro. He's so unique. There's not that many players in world football that are kind of a direct parallel to him. And I think at this point it should and I don't know if this is a hot take, but like, should Casemiro's inclusion, like, definitive inclusion within the starting eleven, be questioned? Because we, even against the yes, these smaller teams were were losing against, and so you're like, okay, you don't need Casemiro, but 
think back to the Man City game. Both times against Manchester City, Casemiro's poor because he struggled with the press. And we could have really used, I think, a, a, a Cruz, Modric, Odegaard midfield to play through that and to give us a better opportunity of winning those games. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's maybe I'm being outlandish, but I, I think he should be looked at more critically by, by Zidane and his staff. I don't think he will, but I think he should be. I, I don't think, I don't think you're wrong. I think the three of us on this podcast would agree. I, I think, uh, I think it's a little bit amusing at least if you guys want to find some humor in all this that it's, it's two times this season now we've in search of goals and uh and Casemiro stayed on the field and yeah. today he ended up scoring a goal after we were critical of that and then what was the other one Om, where we actually completed a comeback or he came on the pitch or something I think it Gladbach. was yeah that that one um so I mean, look. I'm really this... sure there's a statistical correlation between Casemiro having a below career average passing accuracy in the first half and then scoring a goal in the second. This is not even right. It's not the first time you've seen it this season, but most definitely not the first time you've seen it in his career. There, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. But like when Casemiro is bad on the ball in the first half, it seems like a goal is like always coming in the second. It, I don't know. Well, to it's, give it's one of those weird trends. To give credit to that decision of of having him involved in those remontadas, um, and this goes back to Sevilla. Was it last season or two seasons yeah. ago? It was last season. last season, where he scored two goals right in the second half, and so he actually, to give him credit, offensively he brings long distance shooting and he brings arrivals into the box. And he brings a presence into the box as we saw today. So he can get in those goal scoring positions and he can shoot from deep. So that's what he brings. And I, I guess if it's a double edged sword, if you're um if you're um if you're not going to be punished much for the counter, then you know, you can have him just kinda lurch up there and and be and do his thing and be dangerous and and hope that Varane and Nacho in today's game could could keep you at bay, keep the opponent at bay, and Tibor Kurta coming up big. So there's there is some merit in that. I but I think the the discussion really is more about the overall like when you zoom out game into game out against a very aggressive, high pressing, big team. Um, is his presence conducive or is it detrimental? Especially. The discussion, by the way, Matt and I had, I remember now, it was against, it was it was a historical podcast when we were talking about the Mohamedou Diara and Emerson Delo Pivot, oh, yeah. which was such an eyesore, but ultimately they won the league title that year because they conceded so few goals and they had a bunch of epic comebacks. And the discussion was um, Casemiro is kind of from that era because if you look at, around world football today, what, how many Casemiro-type players exist? Maybe Ohm can think of them because we didn't. We couldn't really think of, of one that exists. And so in that sense, when, in modern football, where you require so much control and, and pressing and press resistance. Is it, does it make sense to have a player like that? So that, that's one part of the discussion, more of the big picture discussion. But again, there's, there's two sides of this discussion. One is... If you can't play him against Alaves at home, when can you play these guys? But the other, the other thing is that Zidane doesn't see it that way anyway. I think Casemiro is a starter in his, in, in his lineup. 
generally speaking. Um, I think it is also interesting that Odegaard and Isco had an impact off the bench, which I think is a little bit jumping ahead here. So let's stick with first half stuff. So, um, what right, else did you see from that first quickly, half? Well, I just wanted to like quickly like say a couple things about Casemiro. Yeah. Because what we're talking about is something, to a certain degree, something we've been talking about for a while, this trade-off. And I think, especially in the 1920 season, you can argue that it was worth it. 2020. Because defensively, he was immense, right? My issue with Casemiro this season is he's been bad defensively. And when he's bad defensively, and I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been worse on the ball than he has been in past seasons, but I don't think it's like a dramatic difference. But like the bigger difference for me is he's been bad defensively. And when that's the case, and, you know, you could put it down to whatever you want. I think fatigue might be a huge issue though he had some time off and he still didn't look great defensively in my opinion today, especially in terms of his positioning. Maybe it's like a Modric thing where a couple of weeks won't do it. And he's just, it's like the accumulated grind is just something that takes a lot longer to, to kind of get rid of. But when he's not good defensively, that's when it, it becomes like to me, because people were, were saying in the, the last few games, like, Oh, no Casemiro, this is what happens, you know, with, with our defensive transition. And I was like, usually I'd agree, but not this season's Casemiro. Like, I, I don't think him being in there would have necessarily changed much because he's been out of focus. He's lost track of markers multiple times this season. And it's just not the usual Casemiro on defense who is one of the best ball winners in world football, non-negotiably. We have not seen that this season. So when that's the case, that's when I think it, you really start asking, like, it's not a trade-off anymore. It's just what what's he offering when he's not playing well against the ball, and it's it's not that much. And that's when I, I I think it becomes valid to be like, well, what is the solutions outside of him? Because essentially, otherwise, we're just waiting, hoping that Casemiro finds his old form. And I, I do think that's what Zidane is going to do. I think he will live and die by playing Casemiro every single time he has the opportunity because of the Makalele thing in Zidane's career when he was sold Zidane was most vocal out of anyone about that being a mistake and I think that just cemented in his mind that a team always needs a pure quote-unquote pure destroyer and so Casemiro will always be in this team as long as Zidane is here so to also just you know I I was planning on moving on from Casemiro but you dragged it and I'm going to drag it a little bit farther to be ultimately, like, absolutely fair to him. Last season was his best season ever. And we're not that far away from that. But here, that, that one is a double-edged sword because while, listen, I, you can push back on this if you want. I think he has improved on, on the ball. But he doesn't show that improvement consistently. So it just means that there are times... While he'll go, like, he'll have his giveaways, he'll have his, his cross-field switches, like, which today, he had, in my notes, he had three, which, like, before he even, the ball even left his feet, it was very clear that that ball was not going to hit anyone. No target was going to be reached with it. But you could just see him calculating. He's like, ah, I'm just going to hit this one anyway. And it just gets blocked or it goes out of bounds or it's gross, grossly overhit. And it just didn't work. 
he had overall 84% passing accuracy, which, um, you know, it's not like, it's not like Modric had a great passing game either. But, but Casemiro did have moments last season where he looked fine on the ball. <clears throat> but the double-edged sword is that when he slotted in as a defensive anchor and actually played that role as a defensive anchor and didn't venture ahead and, and the, the, the coverage started to look better, he wasn't playing ahead of Modric and Cruz in a 10 role with, with no coverage. When he started to play in that, that role as a, as a pure anchor, Real Madrid's defense actually became historic. Like the numbers were historic. They, they a simple two a simple two games in a row where he played that role to a T. For the first time since Opta started recording the stats at the turn of the century, the team upheld its opponents to zero shots on target for two consecutive games. And then as the season wore on, it became clear that wasn't just a small sample size. That actually was a real thing because Casemiro kept playing that anchor role for really the entirety of the season and Fede Valverde emerged into the team and all of a sudden this defense became not just this fluke two-game thing but actually one of the best in Europe. But what's the problem when that happens? He plays that anchor role, Manchester City are going to laugh at that and they're going to take the ball off of him. And so I, I guess that's the problem. But to be fair to him, again, a lot of the teams, a lot of the players have had issues with the team's build-up. It's, it wasn't just him. And so it's it's kind of like, you know, one of those things where you kind of take the good, take the bad, and hope that he has good games more than he has bad games. And the problem is when he has bad games, um, your team is not in a position to really make up for it. So I, that, that's where I, I see kind of the struggle with Casemiro, the way this roster is currently constructed. It, it's, it's very difficult for that reason to, to play him in some of the big games. Mind you, this wasn't even the quote-unquote big game. Meanwhile, Mario Sorrente continues his evolution into Alfredo Di Stefano over Atletico Madrid. <laughs> Just the last thing I have to say on this topic, because there was like a brief discussion about Casemiro improving on ball. This obviously doesn't necessarily prove a point either way, but his passing accuracy via FB ref in 17 18, 87.3%, 18 19, 88.3%, last season. 83.5 percent mm. this season not counting this game because it hasn't updated 81.4 percent mm. so i mean you can make of that what you will but there's been a huge drop off in his passing accuracy since the 1819 season that's mm. completely valid and um i won't push back on that at all i'd be curious to know what his numbers under facing pressure are to see how that would change if his press resistance has improved or declined over the years. That would be an interesting one to track, too. Um, I wish they would include successful versus unsuccessful passes under pressure on FB ref, but they just only have, like, They do dribbling, don't they? I don't know if they do dribbling, but they do have, like, passes under pressure, and it's only the ones completed. Oh, I see So you don't have a ratio. Okay. Yeah. Um... Any more Casemiro stuff, or do you guys want to move on? Nope, let's move on. Yeah, move on. All right, so um, Hazard's injury came pretty early in the first half. I thought the way this game was unfolding, I thought Hazard was really, really going to be key to unlock Alavez's defense. And that was apparent when he was the only one trying to break line centrally. 
And this has been an interesting wrinkle now um, in the last couple Hazard games that he's played. He doesn't stick to the left. He's very, very fluid. Um, he was like that against Villarreal, but also like that against Inter. And today, again, popping up in a lot of central zones. Um, and I don't know if, how, how that affected Asensio today, but Asensio was, was a ghost for large stretches of this game. Sometimes he'd pop up on the left. Sometimes he was really deep defensively on the right when the team was in the final third. Um, but Asensio, wherever he was, he just wasn't nearly as involved as Hazard was. And Hazard was um, trying to break lines and dribble down the central channels. Obviously, the, the big sequence where that was apparent was the one where he does that flick, carries the ball, gets in the box, shoots, gets the rebound, and probably gets fouled in the box, which doesn't get called. And then when he got injured, that you know all of a sudden you lost that, and that became pretty problematic. At the time of this recording, we're not entirely sure what the diagnosis is um and Zidane didn't give a de facto answer either way but the way I understand it and hopefully I'm correct about this is that it may not be as serious as we initially thought so there were mixed reports um because Jose Luis Sanchez tweeted out the picture of that his ankle bending the wrong way but it turns out the diagnosis had nothing to do with his ankle it had to do with his right thigh um and if that's true and Zidane kind of didn't seem too concerned about it. It may have been more of a precaution than anything. Let's hope that's what it is. And, uh, and he can come back soon. But Matt, what did you see pre-Hazard injury and after-Hazard injury or any Hazard discussion in general? Yeah, so I think just in terms of what he brought in the central channel was was really interesting. I had just within a five-minute period, he popped up four, four times. Uh, in those central spots. And it didn't always come off for him. He he kept trying those uh, back heel flicks to try and connect with Mariano. And it didn't always come off. But he you, you clearly saw that that was going to be a part of his game in this match was to try to lose his marker, lose the fullback, drift in between the lines, and try and connect Madrid's play. And the best of him, it felt like a, a peak hazard moment was kind of when he did that mazy run down the middle and ultimately should have been called for for a penalty kick. So that that was encouraging. I was getting excited. I felt like, all right, Hazard's here today. If we need someone, if we need the individual brilliance, it's going to come from him. And then, of course, the injury hits. And uh, I like you, I've seen inconsistent reports, so who, who knows what it is. But I hope it is um, physical rather than muscle because if it's muscle, that kind of tells me that like, – I almost feel like, ah, Hazard, are you doing everything you can to to try and prevent this? Because muscle, you can sometimes point to um, the diet. You can point to, is he doing the right things off the field, stretching, yoga, whatever it may be. You, you can, there's a lot you can counteract to try and prevent those muscle injuries. But if it's physical, if it was, if it was a blow, then that's, there's not much you can do there. Om, how about you? How did you, was- how did you see Hazard's performance and, and other things? Hazard related. I was lar- I was largely happy with Hazard's performance, and I think I'm confident enough in saying that there's a difference in what he's doing this season in terms of his role than last season. And like there was just an you know, regardless of whether he was on form or not, there's a thing with him last season where he was just glued to the left flank a lot more. Like, he just looked more like a traditional winger. Yes, he dribbled inside. Yes, there was some reception in the left half space. But it wasn't the Chelsea hazard of roaming across the midfield line, being the dominant creative force between the lines. 
something about the last two games has changed and Hazard has looked more like a number 10 floating in from the left. And I've just liked that a lot more. It's improved our buildup better. Yeah. It's got him in positions in between the lines a lot more. And it's just more of Hazard's game. Hazard is not a guy like, yeah, I mean, he'll dribble inside, you know, sure. But you're not, he's not the player that you want just receiving on the left touchline all the time, like Vinicius maybe, and then having him go from there. You want him constantly drifting into pockets of space, roaming in from the left. That's what we've seen from him the last two games. It was very, very good versus Inter Milan. That was his best game in a very long time. I don't think he was quite at that level today, but it was still a pretty good performance for the short time that that he was on the field. I just have two quibbles with this performance. One is of late, you know, going back to the Villarreal game, he just seems like obsessed with doing this like back heel flick one touch thing when he receives between the lines and it like comes off one every 90 times like him and Mariano are just absolutely not on the same page when that happens. And it's just a possession loss. So I don't know if he needs to force it like that, but I like the idea because it is in theory, a good combination to break the lines. It's just not coming off at all. And then just completely out of character. And maybe this was because of the injury because he ends up going off four minutes later in the 24th minute, we have a set piece that Hazard recovers, right? They block it or clear it or whatever. Hazard recovers it, and then he just gives the ball away. Like, no reason yeah. whatsoever gives the ball away. And this is Lucas <laughs> Perez going one versus one with Courtois, yeah. which should be a goal, right, for Alaves. And it's like, I mean, it's just the nature of the game, like, making no fucking sense whatsoever. Like, Hazard playing well, you know, even if he's injured, like, there's no reason he should be making that pass. And then he just makes one of the worst passes of the entire game. And I'm like, I, I have no idea what happened here. Like Odegaard also did that <laughs> towards the end of the game. So I, just, I, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but like it was one moment that I just, I, I just looked at Hazard, like wh- what's going on, man. That, that <laughs> the amount of plays like that in this game that made no sense. Like I actually had to go back on Fubo and rewatch the Odegaard one at the end because I was like, how did that happen? How can this happen in such a high-stake juncture of the game? You're chasing an equalizer. Christopher McCormick pointed out to me on Twitter when I when I tweeted about it that that was like the equivalent of Casillas coming up against Bayern to, for that throw-in. Do you remember? Years ago, where he comes in, rushes over to take a throw-in, and he makes a foul throw, and Real Madrid were like almost out of the Champions League chasing a goal. Um, it, I had to rewatch it. And it just it just seemed like Isco was about to drop da- drop deep to receive a short pass, and Odegaard thought he was coming back, and Isco didn't do that, and uh, and then it was a counterattack the other way. But yeah, that Hazard pass was was pretty shocking, and and Courtois came up big in, in that situation. One um, nil comes at um, the. Uh, fourth minute mark. It's off of initial Alaves high press. Marcelo with a bad back pass concedes a corner. Nacho handball. Lucas Perez a nice finish. Um, that's a pretty straightforward sequence if you ask me. I don't know if there's anything more you guys want to dissect beyond that, but go feel free to if you want. No, I might I might push us into another direction. Though still in the first half, there were 
a couple of things I want to point out. Um, there was a there were two just clear as day counterattacks. Uh, one in the 23rd minute, which led to the Lucas Perez 1v1 versus Courtois, which Courtois did brilliantly to save. And then just six minutes after that, in the 29th minute, uh, we get counterattacked again. Both of them were off a our own set piece. So Cruz was taking the set piece. And then I noticed our two players that we had back were Marcelo and Modric. So Cruz was taking the set piece, so he, you could argue he was a third player back. But... Those are the, not the three players you want um, who are going to try and defend a counterattack and, and prevent <laughs> a counterattack. And if you guys remember last year, we were like salivating and daydreaming about the fact that Fede Valverde and Ashraf could be our two guys back there to prevent any counterattacks because they're so fast and they would just pr- stop everything. And it was just a sad reminder that we don't have that today. And we have Modric and Marcelo, two to the most... Uh, veteran players on the team trying to slow down these counterattacks and prevent them and so that was part of our our demise and I just couldn't believe that we didn't set up or Zidane like Zidane literally picked Modric and Marcelo to be the two players that waited behind like I, I how how can how is that the thought process like, <laughs> yeah you need, you need players that can defend a counterattack but I I think the the thought process is just that the behemoths would are are up the are up the field to to take advantage of high flying balls coming in, and so yeah. you want those players in the box and kind of have the players who have no chance getting on on the end of those corners the ones the ones tracking is the way I see it. I think I think Nacho and Lucas should be the players yeah. who are back right because if if the first one yeah, that Matt's that. talking well about, Nacho's like underrated in the air to some extent but yeah I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, sure. But, like, speaking to Lucas, like, the, the, the one Matt was talking about, which is the Hazard giveaway, the one versus one, when they play the counterattacking pass, Kroos is the last man. And the only reason Lucas gets in the picture at all is because he just makes an incredible defensive effort. He's, like, 20 yards behind. And he still doesn't really get to get to the one versus one situation, but by the end of it, he's, like, five yards behind the play. Like... Lucas should, given his speed, his defensive work rate, and him being like just a solid defender, right, comparative to other people in the squad. I mean, he should be back, and Marcelo should be up, right? Like, definitely. And Nacho, I mean, Nacho is underratedly fast as well. So I think those two would be would be good choices to have back there, just to to hold it down. I mean, yeah, you're maybe sacrificing one guy, Nacho, who could who could potentially get on the end of something in the box. But I think it's worthwhile to prevent things like that i mean it happened i think that was twice in the first half but multiple times in the second half i think zidane was betting on that nacho bicycle kick yeah yeah. versus culturally on this (laughs) that uh but the lucas vasquez performance in this game like you mentioned him and and some of like kind of the the work is sprinting back his his transition defense and 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 his, his defending in general on the flank was really really good and he sprinted to get back on several occasions, but also his man-to-man defending was pretty good. Again, he was the source of the offense after Hazard went out was literally Vasquez to Mariano. Um, and I thought Mariano was such an interesting one because I don't know 
of many players who can just get on the end of things the way he does. Like, it's crazy how well he moves off the ball to get on the end of those crosses and set pieces. And some really good leaps in this game. Ultimately, his headers were either right at Pacheco or over the bar um, or the one where he had like an unbelievable goal line clearance but I th- by I think it was Duarte, but I'm not sure, um, late in, in, the, in the second half. It was, it was an awesome header, but it was an even better goal line clearance. Um, and, and I thought you could kind of see what he brings to the table, but you could also see in the second half, there was that sequence where he's on a break on the left side and he somehow doesn't come away with a shot, which was like a for, for a prolific shooter like him who usually shoots on sight, he came away with that play without a single shot. And I think if he even just shoots that, that XG shoots up with it and he doesn't shoot. So he's kind of a weird player um, in that regard, but... His off-ball movement, if nothing else, is pretty impressive. What did you guys think of his performance tonight? Well, I will, there's a great uh, quote from Alvaro Benito the other week saying that uh, Mariano puts his head where other players won't even put their cleat. Um, and I think that, that mm. encapsulates him pretty well. And he just, I mean, to your point, Keon, he's just he's able to hang in the air and just the way he can connect with... Some of the, I mean, it feels like he's able to connect with every cross. And Lucas Vasquez had four key passes in this game, and they're probably just all through crosses, connections yeah. with uh, with Mariano. And so those two were were really our only source of trying to find a goal in, in the first half, in the whole game, really. Those two were our only options. And I, I felt like there were a couple times where Madrid looked Mariano off. Hazard on that one run, where he ultimately decided to go his, go it on his own, cut in and took the shot. Um, I thought he could have played Mariano in, and Mariano w- would have been close to a 1v1. Um, and then, obviously, the chance with Cruz, where Cruz should have just passed it to Mariano. Um, so it was strange not to see him play, be played through. I mean, he, he's a striker. He's hungry for that. Just give it to him. He's, he's, he's a guy who can finish it. So I overall, I thought Mariano, I mean, he did well. He did as well as he could. Given given the nature of the game um, and given just his profile of player, but yeah, it was you you would hope that we had more to a game plan than just Lucas Vasquez to Mariano. I'm wondering if Mariano might be our best solution against deep blocks if we're not going to fundamentally change anything, right? So like similar sort of build up. You know, Casemiro is doing what Casemiro does. Odegaard is not prioritized in terms of being a key player. He's the best option we have in the box, right? Like, I think Jovic obviously is a good option, but I think there's maybe a little bit of misallocating some of his qualities or, like, misallocating is not the word, but, like, misunderstanding it maybe a little bit. Like, he obviously is, like, really good in the box, but he's a little bit more of a player who finds his space in some sort of like transition situation, even if it's not a full-blown counterattack, right? Like Jovic's classic move being like just kind of like stopping his movement. So the defenders continue to move backwards and that's where the space opens up for a cutback. He's not a player that, you know, moves all across the box, like making these dramatic movements as much as other players do. 
I mean, he'll, he'll, he can still find space in the box. He'll still get shots off against a deep block, against a packed defense. But I think Mariano is a step up because, one, I think he's more akin to Ronaldo in the type of movements he makes. Physically, he's just a beast, right? He, he, he can leap into the air better than most players. As Matt said, he'll put his head where other players won't put their cleats. Like, he's very, very good at anticipating the cross from a stationary position and then, like, rising up to meet it with his full momentum behind him. And, like, Benzema, I think, is good. Like, I think he's a bit underrated in those situations, but I think Mariano is just a step above. Now, I'm not sure what my observation or, like, this argument I'm making means going forward once Benzema becomes fit. Like, I don't know if I'm really arguing that Mariano, you know, starts over Kareem Benzema or something, but I think it's just interesting that from what I've seen from him, these games especially today has just made me realize that like this guy for the current approach we have I think is actually the best offensive solution we have because it is somewhat akin to Ronaldo just putting balls into the box right like I mean it's not that different from what we've done in prior seasons the difference is Mariano actually got his head to some of these and almost scored in the 83rd minute off of one of them like it, it is strange because Mariano is not the best striker on the squad Right, but that has more to do with his other qualities. But when it comes to a set defense, I don't know if there's any other player on the team besides maybe Sergio Ramos that I want getting on the end of those crosses. So I I, I think you bring up interesting points there, which leads us to a lot of different discussions. And I feel I feel crazy because I just looked at the time; we're 55 minutes in, and I feel like we haven't talked about anything yet. That's how I genuinely feel right now. But I feel like what you just said opens up a whole can of worms. So you you made a you made a half joke on Twitter, or maybe it was a hundred percent just full on joke, that if Real Madrid kind of this was around when Casemiro scored and he pulled one back, that if Real Madrid come back here and get a result, then we're all going to pretend that this was a great performance and that this was a masterclass. And you know the the way we were playing this game. 39 crosses it was, right? 38 or 39, 37. I don't know why I have those three numbers in my head mixed up, but I heard... Because it was compared to the two other games, like Shakhtar and Gladbach, where we didn't play well. Okay, so what was but it? This, this was game? more than all of them. 39. 39 tonight. Okay, that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, it's not peak Lopetegui's record-setting one last year yet, but it's it's up there. Now... If you're going to have Mariano on the team and you want to get the best out of him, the math of 39 crosses to him seems okay to me in that you should be able to get one or two goals out of that. They didn't get any goals out of those. Um, but, you know, on if you replay this game nine times out of ten, who knows what happens. Maybe Hazard gets a penalty. Maybe Mariano doesn't have a freak goal line clearance denying him. Etc. Blah blah blah. Like you know, just kind of maybe maybe this this realm just do come away with a victory in you know in a parallel universe and and it's a different discussion. But then would that be the right discussion to have if we were just just saying oh this this worked? What's interesting is that against Inter, um, that wasn't the case, right? So, and and Mar- Mariano was in the lineup for that. So what was different? Um, well, Odegaard's presence for one. So basically, any time that 
well, there's a couple of things. One is that Inter defensively, vertically, we're not nearly as competent as Alaves were tonight. I don't care what you say. I don't care that it's Antonio Conte. That team defensively was a mess. But the other thing was that anytime Real Madrid had the ball in their buildup, Odegaard was always there in front of Cruz showing for a pass. And if the pass wasn't on, he would drift to to meet him in a, in a nice passing avenue that was conducive to the team's buildup. So Odegaard wasn't there. And so now I really want to talk about kind of some of the tactical flaws today because we had a similar discussion against Muchin Gladbach when Fede Valverde has that last second goal, but it's disallowed, which would which I remember having the same conversation after the podcast. We're like, if Fede scores that and we have to win, what kind of conversation are we having? Do we just forget about that performance? And so... I kind of do wonder. It is interesting that both against Inter and against um, Alaves today, we had Mariano in the team. The one one of the variables that wasn't there was Odegaard. So against Inter, we had 10, 11, 12 crosses total and a lot of central kind of buildup. And against Alaves, it wasn't it was it wasn't like that. And I think there was a case that we should have been more centrally and that is backed up by two things one is that Hazard's success in the first half coupled with Marcelo and Asensio taking out of the game because the flanks were so packed uh, and also and also Odegaard and Isco coming on in the second half and not necessarily turning the game on its head but I will say with confidence and conviction that Isco in his uh God damn, I closed the tab and who scored is like so hard to bring up again. But <laughs> but Isco is like in 20 minutes, I remember checking, like his numbers across the board were better than Modric. He was more involved than Modric, even more involved than Rodrigo, who came on earlier in the first half, and certainly more involved than Asensio, um, who was, again, just zeros across the board. And, you know, and this is Isco who I like... His first touch of the game was horrendous. He had one shot that went to the sky. But still, he he also hit the crossbar. He had some good passing sequences. It just him and Odegaard together in the mid, middle made a difference to me. Yeah, and I think that it's crazy to see how different we played just just schematically with Casemiro versus Odegaard because with Odegaard what you see consistently is Cruz drop deep into that center back role. I call it like the quarterback role where he just can start uh, the buildup play and dictate things and spray passes around. And he very rarely did that in today's game. And when he did, it was more in the second half. Um, And I think like the team's shape on the ball when they play with Odegaard is more of a three, four, two, one. Um, where both the fullbacks push forward, Modric and Cruz act as the center mid, or sorry, Modric and Odegaard act as the center mids, and then you have Nacho, Cruz, and Vron, the three in the back, and they're the ones that that helps build out the play. Um, and so you didn't see that shape really at all today. Um, and I think a major part of it, obviously, is Casemiro's inclusion, and it just completely it dictates. Our, our the way we play our shape like we just we didn't have especially once hazard came off we didn't have really anyone in between the lines um and so the teams it just from a tactical perspective it feels like 
everything we had just worked on the past two games and all these new um, kind of patterns, passing plays, everything we had just done went out the window. And so that was kind of frustrating to see. It's like we didn't even replicate that or see how we could incorporate Casemiro into that. It kind of all just went out the window. I don't have much to add about that because I already kind of talked about Odegaard earlier. What I will say is that even if we still want to cross, in my opinion, Odegaard makes our crossing better because yeah. it facilitates situations where we're crossing into the box with more space there. And that's where I think someone like Jovic, like really his, his qualities will be super highlighted. In my Odegaard article from a while back where I argued that Odegaard can change the way we play, I noted that Real Sociedad actually have a ha- or had last season a higher crossing reliance than Real Madrid, meaning that a higher percentage of their shots came from crosses. So about 20% of their shots came from crosses in the 2019-20 season versus about 19% for us. But Real Sociedad, man- man- they manage less total shots from crosses per game per game than Real Madrid while scoring more goals from crosses in total. So what that implies to me is that their crossing situations were more efficient and they were of higher quality than us. And that's, that's interesting, right? Because we're, we're a team that's like crossing is, is kind of our attacking identity. We like to do it a lot, even, you know, versus a team like Real Sociedad who also cross quite a bit. We cross more than them. But ultimately, crossing ended up being, if you just look at the end product, a more critical part of Real Sociedad's attacking play. And I think that's because they were crossing in situations where the defense wasn't properly set. And so we can do the thing where we did today, right, where we're taking advantage of Mariano and just pumping the ball in the box. We've done that before. We've done it with Ronaldo. But we don't necessarily need to move away from crossing if Odegaard's in a team, what what it'll do is it'll just get us crossing from different situations and different positions. We don't necessarily need to go for the ball out wide. You can still, you know, get it out wide to the fullback. It'll just happen in a situation where like seven defensive players aren't in the box. And I think someone like, as I mentioned, like Jovic would really thrive there. And suddenly he's like, you know, a goal every, you know, one and a half games type player or something like that. So... I think we got the major talking points out of the way. Uh, we kind of talked about Alavez's structure, Real Madrid's offense, Real Madrid's defense. Uh, Courtois? Any thoughts? Oof. Oof. <laughs> Courtois. Oof. We've, we've um, been warning about this. Yeah, we've been, we've been foreshadowing that this could happen. We've talked about his, his distribution with his feet. I just don't get what he was trying to do. Like, why... What did he see? It wasn't like Casemiro was wide open. I mean, I just I don't understand what went through his mind. What gets me is it wasn't a miss hit. He hit that ball with such confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. connection purpose, was so purpose. good. And it just was like three feet away from Casemiro. Like, this is what I say about like finding humor in these games. Like I don't know how you look at that and like just don't start laughing. Like it's it doesn't make any sense. So in the in the replay, when you're when you're watching the replay and the camera kind of zooms in on him as he releases the ball, I was waiting for a slip or maybe the, a pitch of grass that was off. But no, the replay shows him so laser focused, like eyes on the prize. 
distribution, <laughs> like, but it just it's just a bad pass. But I think what what gets me with that one, and look, I I think, I think as bad as that was, and it was bad. Courtois done a lot of good this season and last season, and in this game, I mean, it could have been worse if it if it wasn't for him, even despite that mistake. Uh, but that pass was. I don't know. I don't know. Like we can talk about the technical side of things. Like he's not technically gifted on the ball. We know that. But that one was less about technical things and just decision making, decision making stuff. Because Marcelo was wide open to his left, and that yeah, was a very simple pass he could have made. But he just forced it down the middle, which is the least advisable path. So that was just a bad, a bad error. Um. What else? We talked about Asensio. We talked about Casemiro. Oh, the referee. That's a big one. Yeah. It uh, was. I it just. Go ahead. No, I, I. I mean, I'd probably start in the same place you were on. Just that. It start the Nacho penalty. I think was a penalty. I don't. Do we have much? We don't have any quarrels with that, do we? No. No. no, no. So the Hazard penalty. What did you guys think? The hazard that? penalty. 100% penalty for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a penalty. I don't understand what. It, it's the hazard penalty. It's the Marcelo thing. It's the fact that the, when the referee ended up calling penalties, it wasn't a penalty like when Mariano hit his own arm. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it was just if our performance wasn't this bad, there would be a lot more talk about this refereeing performance because I think. The the only the only thing that was worse was our performance. It just wasn't good. I don't really understand what the line people were doing. I don't understand what the main referee was doing. These didn't seem like hard decisions to me, especially the Hazard one. But I thought it was a stonewall penalty when Hazard went down. Like I and he waves it off and it's not even going to VAR. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. It was a really, really poorly refed game. I think it's been a while. I don't know, maybe because I missed some pods, but I think it's been a while since we've complained about La Liga ranking and how bad it is. But like this was picture perfect, classic, iconic La Liga refereeing, and like how bad it can be sometimes. Like it, it, it wasn't great. Yeah, it was but a penalty think to me that... as well. I was just gonna say. I mean, oh, I agree though. Like at the end of the day. As bad as the refereeing was, we can't. This isn't one of those results where we can just separate it from yeah. from the performance and say, "Oh well, if the referees calls one our way." I mean, there are plenty of things that could have gone our way. Cruz passes that to Mariano, yeah, the header off the or the off the goal line, like at so many different things that could have gone our way, and we would have won this game. But even if we won it, we would. I think we would be talking about the same things, and I mean, I know we would, and we'd be saying, "Like, look, this wasn't." This wasn't a good performance, and we we got lucky. Oh, yeah. Also, I forgot to mention, like, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it because, to me, it seemed like Rodrigo clearly fouled when Kroos ended up getting that opportunity, and the ref didn't say anything. Like, he was right there. Maybe I didn't look at it from a good enough angle, but it just looked like to me he raised his arm, shoved the guy off, and that's how he won the ball. <laughs> I only I you saw, both. Yeah, I thought you it, thought it was a foul, right? I didn't think it was a foul. I, I'm I, really. I'm a bit unclear on it because I didn't. They didn't show enough replays on it, so I, I thought initially it was a foul. Um, but they didn't call it, and I didn't feel like the replay gave me closure of whether it was a foul or not. 
I imagine if that ball goes in the net, then we have better replays and we'll, we would have known for sure, obviously, if it was a foul or not because they just would have looked at it a million times. But I wasn't, I wasn't entirely clear on based on the replays that I saw on the, on the TV. So I, I don't know. I don't know yeah, the answer. I, I, I personally didn't think it was a foul because it wasn't actually Rodrigo who won the ball. It was Cruz who came in and, and actually picked up the ball. But it was Rodrigo right, just applying Rodrigo, the pressure. Yeah, Rodrigo he forced the bad pass but like i don't know like i guess people will say shoulder to shoulder weight room but because he raised his arm there like i i don't know i don't i don't think that's shoulder to shoulder maybe maybe that's not as clear cut as i'm making it out to be but that seemed to me it seemed like another really bad decision by the ref but i don't know maybe i'm wrong i also just want to point out on the hazard non-call because i see this floating around too much in in general when people say he got the ball, because um, people are saying that, if if you get the ball, and not even not even convinced that's what happened here, but if you get the ball, because a, a a common argument is he got the ball first, but if you you can't you can't get the ball first and then foul the opponent, it doesn't work that way. If you impede somebody from scoring, then it's a foul, it's a penalty kick. So if you if you because that Hazard was impeded, he was held. The ball, the 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 leg clearly went through his thighs, so I, I I didn't think there was much argument. I thought it was a penalty, but um, the other one, which I actually didn't even see until after the game, I think it was because I don't know why. Maybe I was taking notes. I was writing my reaction, but Marcelo blatantly getting his hair pulled in the box is a is actually a red yeah. card mm-hmm. to me. Like that, I'm I'm shocked that that went unnoticed. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous that that Navarre doesn't like. What's the point of VAR if they're not gonna they're not gonna at least review these things? Like, that's that is clear as day to your point, and it, and it is a red card. And that again, it wouldn't change the performance, but it would have dramatically changed the result, especially if they if Alaves had to play with ten men. Yeah, yeah. It's just a disaster class of refereeing performance. Yeah, like everything crazy. about this game just was 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 not great, but also just entertaining. You know, just if you were a neutral observer, I think, and for, I, I don't know if you guys noted this, but for some reason, everyone on the timeline was watching this Real Madrid game for some reason. <laughs> like, it's like people had nothing better to do. There was, I think, some Sheffield United game on or something. And people were like, I don't want to watch that. Like, a bunch of people who normally don't watch Real Madrid were watching this game for some reason. And well, you know, they got fantastic impressions of how they <laughs> play. So, <laughs> there you go. Now that you mention it, I think I saw a lot of like, Hazard fans or, or Chelsea fans who are tuning in to watch Hazard play in my mentions and stuff. So I guess I never really thought about it. I guess we didn't overlap within any other big games for once. Vinicius' performance, I think, would can we can also briefly touch on before moving to questions. I thought the Vinicius sub for Asensio, this was my take on it. It was too like-for-like like, tactically to make a, make a difference in this game. I think it was if it was going to make a difference, it would have made a difference in that Vinicius is more active than Asensio and tried to do more things, but his efficiency just isn't there right now. Like he can't complete a dribble attempt, he can't beat any any defender, but just his mere activity kind of created Casemiro's goal in a sense. I mean, it was his shot and then the rebound to Casemiro. So, did you guys have any thoughts on that sub or or Vinicius in general? Well, that was my other frustration was just the subs in general because I don't think Zidane, um, one, I don't think he made the subs early enough, and two, 
I don't think he he subbed out the right guys. Like I would not have taken out Luka Modric and Tony Cruz. Um, I probably I still would have put on Isco and Odegaard, but would have taken out um, Casemiro and Asensio. And so I just I think I don't know. I I was I just felt like Zidane from so many different standpoints. He's the one that keeps saying, I need to find solutions. I need to find solutions. <laughs> but like he, he's digging himself into a bigger hole and on with some of this on-field on game day decisions. What I don't understand is when Hazard comes off, I think Rodrigo is a good sub. Why, why doesn't Rodrigo play on the left? I think Asensio on yeah, the left makes yeah. him worse. I agree. I, I mean... Again, like it could be any number of things, but it, it indicates to me that Zidane actually thinks Rodrigo is better on the right. I, I think Rodrigo is better on the right than Vinicius. I think he's uh, adequate there. I think he's a different player on the left. I think his dribbling comes alive there in a way it doesn't on the right, and it just seemed easy to me. It's like the one time that you could play Rodrigo without inconveniencing anyone, right? It would, in fact, make Asensio better. I, that, to me, was just a weird decision something that easily at any point in the match could have been changed, and we just didn't see him there. And obviously when Vinicius comes on, Rodrigo has to be on the right. You you, you don't want Vinicius there. So that that was an inexplicable decision to me, and I do wonder whether Zidane in his mind actually thinks Rodrigo is better on the left than the right. All right, let's take some questions. So if you guys want to get guaranteed responses to your questions, plus get access to a ton of bonus content, including midweek post-game shows, uh, Thursday mailbags, loan tracker episodes where Matt and I actually watch every loanee on the weekend and, and review their performances for you. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Sad Omar, our patron, says, Our team has no teeth. We can't score. Our defense is rubbish and makes mistakes galore. How much would Eden Hazard sell for if we cut our losses by January or the summer at the latest? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being a guarantee we win something, what are the odds we even get a trophy? I'm sitting at two right now. So Hazard cutting our losses. Do you guys have any? What do you guys think of that n- notion? Hmm. Um, I mean, I, in, in a hypothetical world, if this were to ever happen, what would he fetch on the transfer market? I guess is the question. So I don't. That's tough. I mean, what do we think? Given that he's kind of got this injury prone now, and he's he's thirty years old, is it like forty million? Uh, am I too? I low? think you can convince know. some team to fork up like the range forty to fifty million, but I struggle to see higher than that. He's going to be thirty soon, and yeah, I mean the injury history is not great. Like there are always inefficient actors in the market. There are always people who, who shouldn't be in the positions that they're in. I'm sure we can con somebody if we need to, but it's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not going to go for a hundred million again. I don't think anyone's that stupid. Can we call up the Knicks? Can they take a gamble? On <laughs> well, I mean, look, the, the easy answer is I, I don't think you, you even entertain that idea of trying to sell him now. It wouldn't make sense for, for all the criticism and all the injuries he's had. You hope that some of this is just bad luck and bad timing. Uh, I know fans will find it very difficult to see it that way. I mean, it's it's still hard for me to believe, even after all these injuries, that he just didn't have these issues at Lille and and, uh, and Chelsea. A lot of this is only Real Madrid related, and you just hope he can bounce back the way Arthur Robin did later in his career. 
I don't think you tried to cut your losses. I think he still makes your team better. He's still better than anyone we have on the wings. More efficient. I think it. I think it depends on what happens this season. I think if it's just a repeat of the same thing, I think you you gotta consider it. But like, if he gets over this new injury, and you know, he, I I personally don't think we're going to see like the absolute peak of Hazard anymore. Like, I think he could still be a very good player. And like, let's let's just say like, okay, we only say quote-unquote, only he's very good. I still think that's fine. But if it's a rep- replica of last season, I don't know. Like, I I think you look at what happened and you think maybe, yeah, sure, this wasn't a problem that happened beforehand, but it now is a problem that he, he now has become injury-prone and that's who he is. But that that is yet to be seen. It's yet to be written. I, I enjoyed his performances these last two games in a way I haven't in a long time. And I, I've been pretty critical of him for for a while now. In, in terms of his performances, I think even more so than you two. And I, I was fine with what I saw these last two games. And if he can get back to providing this, I'm, I'm happy to have him on the team. Uh, Alexis Sanicero says, very disappointing performance today. Frustrating from the front three, especially for Asensio and Hazard. Asensio isn't the same as he was before. And the same could be said about Hazard. Asensio used to take risks and shoot from long distance, scoring beautiful goals from long range. And Hazard is another case with his performances sometimes and the injuries. It's clear that our front three need change, and I don't know if Holland or Mbappe would make much of a difference. This is systematic. I feel like we've touched on this, and this isn't really a question, more of a comment, but did you guys have anything you wanted to add or piggyback off of this? Just that Lucas posted a sofa score screenshot of Asensio's stats on the game. Zero shots, zero dribble attempts, 47 touches, high pass accuracy, but zero key passes, one out of eight crosses completed, 10 possession losses. Uh, I'm not sure what the criticism is for Hazard this game, uh, aside from like the mistake he made in some of these like decisions with his flicks, but Asensio, as we established, didn't have a great game, but like just reading his stat line crystallized that for me. Like, the one out of eight crosses, like, I could have sworn he had more accurate crosses, but, like, he... That was basically just that one cross was basically the only dangerous pass he made the entire game. Not sure what to do with Asensio right now. Like, obviously, he's come off a big injury, but he looks physically fine to me. There's, he just seems off, and I, I don't really know how to explain it. He He's he's really just not been impactful at all of late. Yeah. Uh. All right, last one. Anthony Lombardi says, out of the current Madrid players out on loan, who would you guys say has the best chance to break into the squad next season and have some sort of backup role? So, um, I mean, obviously, we're tracking the loanies every every, uh, every week, but it's tough to say who would... uh, Obviously, my, my first pick would be Sergio Reguilon if you consider him a loanee. We obviously have the buyback clause, and so if, if we do activate that, that would be my first choice. But other than that, it's it's tough to say. Brahim's doing well at AC Milan. Kubo, he, yes, he's not getting as many minutes, but I think he's uh, I think Emery's helping him develop certain parts of his games that will will help long term. Um, I do I don't think Danny Ceballos is a starter but I do think he could help with mid- midfield depth. So I would say I think 
Sergio Regalone, number one. I think that Danny Ceballos, if you ever were to get a chance under Zidane and would be willing to play a supporting role, could be helpful in midfield. And then uh, I think Take Kubo has the talent, but um, I'm not sure if he's quite ready yet. Yeah, the list of loanies is actually not that deep right now. Um, and if, if look, if regular loan counts, the answer is regular loan to me. But I don't. I guess for the purpose of this exercise, like talking about technicalities, he's not on loan. Um, so if I had to pick one, it would probably be Kubo because he can start in that right wing, and he can help with some offensive ingenuity. He's a good dribbler. I guess. The one that has been rising up the charts to some extent for me is Brahim, who can also go in that route, but also play anywhere across. I, I can play on either flank and also play in the middle. He's not playing that regularly for Milan, but he's impressed anytime he's been on. Uh, I've seen enough of Bale this season that I actually think I'm going to double down on what I said last week, Matt, that I actually think by the end of the season, Tottenham are not going to want him to come back. That's my thing. That's what I think. Um, yep. So I don't know what to do. Tottenham with- fans are finally starting to to criticize him a bit. Yeah. And I, right? I don't like, blame was, them for... Was- I don't blame them for having that honeymoon to begin with. I would be crazy excited too to have him back. But yeah, they it, things regress to the mean pretty quickly with him, I think. And Myral, developing... I don't think he's going to help the team long term. Vallejo's dropped off still. Renier Jesus is the one that we just, I guess, don't we haven't seen enough of yet to see what he, what he still has. But we've seen nothing. <laughs> yeah, we've literally seen nothing. Yeah, we've literally seen nothing except for sometimes he goes to goes with the Brazilian Olympic team and does some stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, so if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Kubo. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. They go slightly longer when Ohm is on the show, but that's just more, you get more value when he's on the show. That's the way we'll frame it. And uh, I think we're... Okay. <laughs> uh, Ohm, you know we all appreciate your, your insight and your analysis. It's awesome. Um, and we'll be back. Uh, is it Champions League this week? Yeah, it's on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, do, you got, do either of you have... Um, any hot takes heading into the schedule? Shakhtar, Sevilla, Muchengladbach, Atletico, Athletic. Well, one that Sevilla will obviously not be easy, but I that's the one I'm actually not as worried about. Sevilla, in my opinion, haven't been that good this season. And so, like, they're, they're, they've had some troubles, especially offensively. And, yeah, I mean, it, it'll never be easy against that side, but... I, I, I'm not like ultra scared. Like that's not the one I'm marking down as like, I, I really don't want to see this happen. Gladback is the one where like out of all of these games, I like, I, I don't want to face that team again, man. Yeah. And given our track record, I think it's probably the smaller teams and the deeper blocks that we should be worried about. Not the, not the bigger teams that let us play a little bit. So, um, that's, that's what I would keep my eye on. That's what I was going to say. Um, for that reason, Sevilla and Atletico actually worry me a little bit less than, than Shakhtar, Muchengladbach. Um, now, Atletico are, are obviously historically a defensive-minded side, so they're not going to give us space anyway. But this version of Atleti, they play a little bit. They keep the ball, they get into the final third. 
either way, I think that's actually going to be a really interesting game. But none of this is going to be easy, I don't think. So, um, And even that Shaq Darmuchin Gladback game, I know a lot of us felt like it's, we're in the clear after beating at the Inter. And I think we are in the clear. I don't, it would really, if God help us off of Riyamsha, don't qualify from the Champions League, I don't think they're going to fail at doing so. But those two games are not going to be easy, I don't think. So, yeah, and I can't emphasize this enough. And, and I, I always, I hesitate a little bit being the party pooper after a game like Inter. But I actually, I honestly think Inter were just terrible in that in that game. They were better at the game at the at the Di Stefano, but the one in, at San Siro, they were just brutal. And then the Vidal red card didn't help. So I think that skewed a little bit what we did in that game. But ultimately, we did what we were we we faced what we had and we we dealt with it and and we played well. So um, we'll see how this upcoming schedule goes. So I guess how, housekeeping stuff on. Um, on Tuesday or Monday, Matt and I will have to talk about what to do with Loan Tracker. That's on patreon.com slash Madrid. And then the Shakhtar Pots game, that's also on Patreon. And then Thursday, Mailbag with Lucas, that's also on Patreon. And then on this feed, the RS, the free RSS feed, we'll be back next week um, for the Sevilla game. So if you're not a member on Patreon, I guess we'll see you next Saturday. And if you're lucky enough to be a patron, we'll see you three times in between then. Gentlemen, thank you guys so much for your insight and taking the time. And Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.